You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Continue pray for our healing. <clears throat> and we've got several more that we're praying for, so I just really, we had at uh, early prayer um, this week, uh, we don't really come with an agenda, but um, this week we were basically just praying for some really long-term chronic needs that people have uh, in the body, um, specifically um, physical needs that people have been dealing with for a long time, and um, just encourage you to uh, just when you get the prayer requests, a uh, couple of things you can do. First of all, just stop for a minute and pray. Um, put it on your prayer ch- prayer list that you do on a regular basis. But when you see that come across, if you would just stop at that moment and just lift them up to the Lord and pray for them. And then the other thing is, uh, when you pray for people, just take a minute and text them or you know drop them an email or something like that just to let them know, hey, I pray for you today. And if the Lord shares something with you, that's great. But just to know that people are praying and that God is prompting people's hearts to pray um, is super encouraging. So, And as I said, we have some people that uh, just have some ongoing needs, and it's really easy to kind of take that for granted and just uh, um, forget about it. And um, the body of Christ really needs to minister to the body of Christ in a, in a consistent and a long-term way like that. So just encourage you to do that. I'm continuing uh, my series Um, that I started last week on uh, the New Covenant. And um, as I told you last week, I've been reading through um, the uh, one year, the Bible in a year, and I'm in uh, Jeremiah right now. And uh, actually, I just got done with Jeremiah and finished uh, Lamentations today and fixing to launch off into Ezekiel. Um, But these prophetic books have kind of like a theme that goes through that. Um, and uh, it's, um, it's a really, some of it is really hard. It's really hard to read, and it's really hard to, um, uh, to think about. Um, I know that we live in the New Covenant, and I know that God has um, great things for us, but there's some real instruction uh, in, uh, in the prophetic books um, about what God's heart is and what God's desire is. Do I have that PowerPoint, you guys? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was looking at the back wall. Is the back one still out? So we're look. Yeah. So uh, just put it up when you get to it. Um, so in Jer- Jeremiah, when I got to that point um, in uh, chapter thirty-one, it says um, um, uh, God told them, I, "I have never quit loving you, and I never will." Um, he said, "I have loved you with an everlasting um, love." It says that God appeared to um, Israel from far away. And he said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And it's in the midst of God's prophetic word about the judgment that's coming and the difficult things um, that, that Israel richly deserved um, that God is speaking to him and talking about his love. And he says, he says, I, it says that God spoke to him from, from far away. Um, and it's not because God is far away from him. It's because their hearts are far away from him. Um, he's always near to us. He's always as close as your own you know, skin or even closer than that. Um, but sometimes our hearts are turned away from him and it's as if his voice is from far away. 
And he's just reminding them, you know, that he, how his love is everlasting, has no beginning, it has no end. Um, and it says, with unfailing love, I have drawn you um, to myself. And then later in Jeremiah chapter 31, um, verses 31 through 34, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, um, which I, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God's covenant with um, God, okay. God's covenant with um, with Israel uh, was designed to bring them into a relationship with Him, and it was designed to do um, several different things, all of which um, God had intended to accomplish in Israel, but which failed um, because the covenant itself was not the final thing. There was there's a lesson. There's a lot for us to learn in um, the law in um, the old covenant. There's a, there's, a, there's a tremendous amount of revelation. To God's people, the way that God revealed Himself to His people, He revealed Himself physically, I mean personally, to Moses in the mountain. And they saw Him from a distance, and they were scared of Him. They were afraid that if they went up, that they would be destroyed. And they were, it was right to be afraid. Because when we stand in our sin before God, we are very, very much exposed. But God had an intention of bringing them close to Him. And that's, what he, that's why he gave them um, the law. The way he revealed himself to Israel was through the law and through the prophets. The law was to reveal the mind and the heart of God and what God required of us. But the prophets were the ones that made that word personal. The prophets are the ones that came to them in human form and spoke the word of the Lord to them. And you understand that prophecy is not just telling the future. I think a lot of times when people use the the term prophecy, they're talking about something that's prophetic. It's like speaking about future events that are going to come. But prophecy is a flowing forth of the heart of God. Sometimes that is future events, but most of the time it's just the way that God wants to speak to us personally and reveal Himself to us. Um, so today I want to talk about um, something that Jesus talked about when He was comparing the old um, to the new. Um, you know, at the Last Supper, when Jesus was talking to um, his disciples, um, he said to them, um, this is not advancing. Can you give me the next? There we go. Um, this is, okay, we already got that. Um, sorry, you guys. Give me the next one. That's the same one. All right. Pay no attention to the man behind the. <laughs> that's the that's that verse is the background. So if you want to read that over and over again, that's fine. Um, and at the Last Supper, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he was talking to them about, you know, what was to come, because things were about to change dramatically. 
at the Last Supper. And Jesus was not just concerned about himself. He wasn't just concerned about his own suffering and the, his, his hour coming and that he was going to fulfill what he was born to, to fulfill. But he was also concerned about his disciples. And when I say his disciples, I'm talking about you. He was concerned about you before he faced his death. And he spoke words to them which were words of comfort, but it, were, it was also words of a comforter that was going to come and, and be not just take Jesus' place, but reveal a whole new aspect of God that they had never seen before. And while he was talking to him, he said this to him. He said, I have things to say to you that you can't bear right now. And that's often the case. It's not that God doesn't want to reveal himself to us. It's that we can't bear it. We can't embrace it or we can't understand it. Um, in another place, when Jesus was talking about the old verse compared to the new, and I don't want to use this term verses because it's not against. It's not the old versus the new. It's the old and the new together because the old is to reveal the new and the new is to explain the old and to, to make it all make sense. He didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. And in fulfilling the law, he was establishing it as good. He was establishing it as right. And when he was talking about this, he was talking about um, uh, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 17, it says, Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. When Becky and I came to the Lord, we had been in a, um, uh, a faith tradition um, that I actually went to um, a school in this faith tradition all the way from kindergarten to graduation from high school. And I was familiar with God. I was familiar with the things. And I was familiar with the system. And we came to, to the Lord in such a powerful way that I felt guilty that I hadn't given the system a, a good enough shot. And so I went back into it, even though I was still coming uh, to here actually is where we were being discipled uh, and we had a Friday night meeting that we were going to I stayed where in that faith tradition that I was because I didn't think I had really concentrated enough when I had prayed and I didn't think that I had been you know faithful enough to the system I hadn't really tried I had just let things kind of go their way and I had prayed prayers without really thinking about what I was praying and I was going through the motions before and once I got filled with the spirit and came to the Lord, I thought, I still thought that that would work for me. But it came down to a time, and we did that for a full year, being fed here, being nurtured here, being discipled here, and ministering there, and trying to make that work. And I came to a place where I realized it's, it was an old wineskin for me, and that I was experiencing something that was the new wine. You see, the, the, uh, the law or the um, the old wine skin is an outer thing. It's a container. But it doesn't guarantee that there's anything in that container. You see what I mean? You can go through the motions. The law is outward. The law is, is, what, is telling you what's right and wrong and things that you should do and that you shouldn't do. And if you listen to a lot of Christians talk, they would describe their faith in those terms. It's the stuff that you can't do and the things that you must do. That's what I thought Christianity was. I thought it was a code of conduct. I thought it was a bunch of stuff that you couldn't do that you wanted to do and stuff that you had to do that you really didn't want to do. Who would want that? I thought you guys were crazy. Why would you want that, right? And then when I became one, 
I realized it's not that at all. Because I was just looking at the, the wine skin. And I wasn't experiencing the wine. The thing that the wine skin is supposed to contain is the new wine. It's life. It's joy. It's freedom. It's love. It's all of the things that make life worth living. That's what's on the inside. What's on the outside is, is just the container of it. And that's what the law, um, that's what the law did. The, the old covenant and the new covenant. Or the spirit compared to the law. That's more of, of the right way to look at it. Um, Jesus described our relationship with him uh, in one of his parables, and he was talking about how um, the, um, you remember this one where the, he says that the shepherd goes into the sheepfold and he goes in through the gate. He doesn't climb over the fence. He says it's a thief that climbs over the fence. And he goes in through the gate and he goes in and, and, he, and he calls his own sheep and he says, his sheep, he said, my sheep know my voice. And it, what does it say that he, he tells him to do? He says, I take them out and I bring them into the green pastures and by the flowing waters. That's what he does. That is a picture of the new covenant. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The old covenant was the feet, was the fence, was the sheep fold or the pen. Pen notentiary kind of. It kept you in one place and when you're in that place, not it wasn't punishment, but it was like a, it was a place and in that place you're protected from the enemy. In the, that place you're protected from um, uh, predators. In that place you're fed. That's where you're fed and that's where you have water. And you come into that place and you got that fence around you and that kind of defines you. It tells you who you belong to and that's where you are. But that's not the picture of the New Testament, of the New Covenant. The new covenant has all of those things. It has protection, it has provision, it has identification, it has all of these things that the, that the pen has, but it also has something that the pen doesn't have. Freedom. So he comes and he leads us out, and he takes us out to the place that by ourselves would be scary, by ourselves would be, would be stupid. Listen, there's no feral sheep. we got feral hogs. Feral hogs can take care of themselves. Feral sheep can't. Feral sheep are breakfast. That's what they are. And there's lots of wild things out there that are looking for a sheep outside the fold. But when that sheep is in the company of the shepherd, that sheep is safe. That sheep is free. That sheep is unencumbered. It's not stumbling around in the, in the mire of the, of the sheepfold, but it's out where it was designed to be, out in the freedom and the wide open spaces that He has for us. And what's our responsibility out there? It's just to listen to the voice of the shepherd. It's just to, just to listen to the Spirit. I'm not being idealistic. I'm telling you this is what it is. This is what God had in mind. This is what He wanted for us. This is what He wants for all mankind. Jesus said, no one puts wine into old wineskins. If he does, the, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But the one, new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking, listen to this now, no one after drinking the old wine desires the new for he says um, the old is good. And you could say it this way, the old is good enough. So let me say some things about that, okay? Because there's a tendency for us to kind of look at the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and say, 
well, that's done and it doesn't pertain to us anymore. And that's a dangerous thing to say because that was the Word of the Lord just like the New Testament is the Word of the Lord. All of it is. And all of it is really valuable and important. Listen how David talks about the, the law. He says, oh, how I love thy law. He says, it's my meditation day and night. The longest psalm that was written was, was Psalm 119, and that's what the whole thing is about. It's about the beauty and the glory and the goodness of the law. Why? What's so good about the law? The law reveals God to us. That's what's so good about it. Because in our natural state, we don't know what's good and evil. That's what the effect of eating the fruit was in the Garden of Eden. Remember what it said? God said, don't eat of the fruit. If you eat of the fruit of the, garden, of the, um, the tree in the middle of the garden, it says you will lose the ability to tell the difference between, between right and wrong, between good and evil. And that's what the devil told uh, Adam and Eve. They said, you'll be like God. You'll know evil and you'll know good. God doesn't intend for us to know evil. He only intends for us to know good. But we're all mixed up, aren't we? we got such a dose of evil and such a dose of good. And we look at something and we say that's good. And God says, no, it's not good. And we look at something else and we say that's evil. And God says, no, that's not evil. We look at something and we say that's good. And God says, no, that is death. And it appears to us to be good. That's why the law is so good. Because the law clearly tells us what is good and what is evil. When Israel had gone into, um, uh, into bondage and they came back and Ezra took the law and began to read it to them, they tore their clothes. They put on ashes. They were in mourning because they said, we didn't know these things. We didn't know that the God hates these things. We didn't know that we weren't supposed to be doing these things. Why? Because everybody around them was doing this kind of stuff. Up to sacrificing their children. sacrificing their children i don't think there's anything that got all over god worse than israel worshiping a god who demanded child sacrifice how far are we from that how far are we from that i'm talking about if we judge ourselves by the people that live around us and even by our own heart and desire how far are we from sacrificing our children for our own desires because that's nothing less than what abortion is. That's exactly what it is. But you say, well, there's no God behind that. Yes, there is. It's me. I am above this. I am above the, the, um, the, the law. I am above God's desire for me. I have my life, and I deserve my life, and I want my freedom, and I want my ability. And that's the God that we sacrifice those children to, and that that die because of our desires. But if we judge it by what we're looking at, you will hear all around us in society. You don't deserve that. You will hear all around us, you know, take care of yourself first. I watched um, several years ago, uh, Larry King interviewed, like, uh, I don't know if you've seen him, but like he always does his bumper. He's like, next up, and he'll tell you who he's going to interview. And I was watching just kind of half watching the television and larry king says next up um the um the president of the church of satan in america and then he goes to commercial i'm like i gotta see this 
And so it comes back, and I'm expecting, you know, like, you know, horns and, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting, but what I saw was completely different. It was a well-dressed guy in a nice suit with a tie. And Larry King, the first question that he asked him, he said, what does the church of Satan in America teach or, or believe? And he says, simply, the church of Satan in America says this, me first. That wasn't what I was expecting. That wasn't, but, but if I look at America, <laughs> I can see that that's got a much greater influence sometimes than the one that said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Lay down your life, take up your cross and follow me. Or like Paul said, I reckon myself dead to sin. And if I look at, in America, what is the creed of America, the credo of America, it's much more close to this guy who doesn't look like Satan. He doesn't look scary. He looks like a regular, rational person. And when I hear that Gospel, I say, that makes sense. Yes, take care of myself first. Me first. And that's the Gospel of Satan. And it always has been. God told him, don't eat of the, the, the fruit of the garden. That's what, uh, that's what sin entered into the world through that one guy. And what was it about? What if, like, you want to get on a diet. You want to get on a keto diet, and they say, don't eat peaches. How hard is that? Right? Do you have to have a peach? Couldn't you have something else? But it wasn't about that, was it? It was about God's authority to tell Adam what he wanted Adam to do and Adam's insistence on having it his way, even if he didn't know what that meant. And the devil said, God knows that when you eat of that, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Why is the law good? Because the law teaches us what's good. And the law teaches us what God says is good. And I know there are, like, I can't remember how many there are, hundreds of different laws, and then there's a whole nother layer of stuff that trying to figure out what those laws meant that they added even to those laws. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about two. Because Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And what are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's love your Lord, the Lord your God completely. Be lost, be, be completely submerged, emerged in loving God. God is, loving God is, and then the second one, he says, is like unto it, and that's what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And I see these two things as being like under tension. They're pulling us one direction and they're pulling us the other direction. And like a... Like a um, uh, a television aerial that you, that you see, hundreds of feet tall, just a spindly little thing, but it's as strong as, 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 a, as a building. There was a tornado that went across um, uh, Love's Lookout um, in Jacksonville in, what, what year was it? Huh? 87? In about, about 1987. And um, this tornado came through, and there's a, um, there's a forest ranger tower there that is secured with wires. Like four wires, forest ranger thing. And this thing comes through, and there's a mobile home park. If you, if you ever want to run from a tornado, run away from the mobile home park, right? Because <laughs> that's where it always just seems to go. But uh, anyway, um, so there's a mobile, there was a mobile home park there um, right next to the... Um, uh, to the to Love's Lookout, 
and it obliterated that. Like if you were driving down 69 and you looked, there was like, it looked like it had snowed. There was insulation all in the trees and everything. And you could track the, um, uh, the, the path of this tornado. It looked like a giant had come and just snatched the top off of the pine trees and off of the oak trees. And it came straight over that, that forest ranger tower. And it was undamaged. It stood these television aerials, they stand. Why? Because they're under tension. They're not in themselves strong, but they're, they're strong because they're being pulled in these different directions and it, sit, it solidly sets them where they are. And that's what loving God and loving people is that way. If all I had to do was love God, I wouldn't care about people. I'd be lost in my own righteous you know, world just exploring what pleases God and, and, and trying to get my life right and all of that. You know the complication there is that people have to be dealt with. If all you do is love God, people are a problem. Conversely, if all you do is love people, God is a problem. If all I have to do is love people, I don't care what they do. I don't care, I don't care what, what happens. They, they, they can do whatever they want to do and I just love them. I'm not talking about conditional love. What I'm talking about is loving them with the love of God. Loving them like God loves us. In their imperfection, but not saying that their imperfection is right. Loving people doesn't mean that everything they do is right. It means that I love them first. You see how this keeps us under tension? God, Jesus said, this is the law and the prophets. It's not all of the other law. All the other laws were important because they showed their dedication and their love for God. And a lot of them are really healthy things that we know now today that we didn't know back then. Like how to dig a latrine or what to do with a dead body, you know? Or how to prevent the spread of disease. All of those are in the law, but that's not what the law was about. The law was about loving God and loving people and realizing the more you tried to do that, the more you realize, I need something more than this. I need something more than this. And do you feel like that sometimes today? Like, I can't just love people. I'm sick of people. You ever feel like that? Amen. Amen. <laughs> we, need, we need something more than just a law that says love people, right? How do we love people? And that's, where Jesus, that's why God said, and, and listen, God's prompt, prompting for judging Israel was not just that they didn't keep the Sabbath and they didn't do the, the, um, the sacrifices. In fact, they seem to have continued in some form to continue to do that. God's, the thing that forced God's hand was injustice. That widows and orphans and strangers were treated with a different standard. They were not caring for each other. They were not faithful to each other. They were not being God's people. They weren't loving people. And God said, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of you taking advantage of people and using people and not caring for people. That was one of them. The other is that they continued to go through the sacrifices when their heart was far from them, as if they were paying off God. Like, God, I did this for you, now you have to do this for me. A lot of people live that way. A lot of people live that way. A lot of people think they're going to heaven because of all the good things that they did. Or that they're balancing the good and the bad, right? They know they've done some bad things, but, you know, they did adopt that one puppy that time, you know, or, you know, they stopped and gave a hamburger to a stranger or something like that. There's nothing wrong with that stuff. But that's not going to justify. That doesn't balance. It doesn't balance. 
having life your own way and doing things your own way and ignoring what is pleasing to God, the wages of sin is death. So that's right. Two lefts, two lefts don't make a right. Three left, three lefts make a right. Three, three lefts make a right. Got it. Two wrongs don't make a right. Is that what you said? Two wrongs. The old wineskin is the outside. The new wine is the contents. The law is only able to address our actions, our practices, our habits, and that's the outward you. But see, God looks on the in, inward person. That's what He really wants to do. And when you get the inward straight, the outward straightens up. You could spend your whole life trying to get the out, outward straight and miss what's on the inside. And what God has for us is, is on the inside first, and it manifests itself on the outside. It's not outward conformity. It's inward transformation. We don't know what sin is unless we're told. That's what the law does. And it does an awesome job of that. Perfect job of that. How great it is to know this. But the problem is knowing and practicing these things, if the inward hasn't been changed, has the effect of making us proud. Has the effect of making us self-righteous. And so God gives us His code of conduct and we say, I've fulfilled like the, the rich, uh, was it the rich young ruler that came to Jesus? And Jesus said, you know what the law says? And He told him all the things that the law said. And the guy says, I've done those things since, my, since I was a kid. I don't know if that's true. I think he may have been doing what was right in his own wise. But maybe he was with all of his heart trying to fulfill that. And yet he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I lack? I've done these things. Do you know why a lot of people get filled with the Holy Spirit after their salvation? Like they're, and I'm not saying they're not, they don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying they need an experience that's a supernatural experience from God. Is because they get to a point where they've gone through the motions and they've done it all, and they say, if that's all there is to it, I don't want it. I can't do this for the rest of my life. And that's what this young man, he came to Jesus and he said, you know, what more do I lack? And Jesus said to him, you remember what Jesus said? You know, you know what he said. Go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. Now listen, there's no other way to be the disciple of Jesus. That's what the apostles did. That's what everybody has done that comes to Jesus, is abandon their stuff. God may still give you the ability to take care of that stuff and the stewardship over that stuff, but your relationship to that stuff is completely different now. Are you with me? Nobody comes to Jesus holding on to all of their gear and it's like, God, me and my gear, we're here. It's like, no, it's just you and I'm going to show you how to use that gear from now on in a way that doesn't stumble you and that you don't, you're not tempted to identify yourself with your car or your house or think that's you. He wants to, he wants to separate us from that stuff like he wanted to separate us, the rich young ruler from that. If it were you, he might say something different. He might say, go and forgive your dad who failed you or your children who have walked away from you or go and, you know, start working in a soup kitchen. He may say that. He may say, you know, go to Africa, which is not that bad. You should, you should try it sometime. Or go to a third world country. Go to another place that's not like your life and not, has nothing to do with you and see me faithful in a foreign culture in a foreign land. 
Because you need to be set free from something. That guy thought he owned that stuff. That stuff owned him. And Jesus looked into his life and he said, go and sell all that you have. Why? Because the guy was asking. The guy was asking him. The guy said, what more? Do, what do I lack? And Jesus says, you lack identity in me and freedom is what you lack. And here's how you get that. That's what the New Testament, that's the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the guy was saying that he had done all of these things and yet it still left him empty. The New Testament is the contents. It's the inside. It's the new wine. It's what, it's what the old wineskin is supposed to contain. The law is really good, but we need something more. We can get the outside pretty straight, and it's good to do that. I'm not saying that it's not good to do that. Because when you begin to apply yourself to the law, it does something to your heart. It, it does. It changes you. When you, start begin, when you begin to walk in these things, it begins to change you. First of all, it humbles you. And secondly, it helps you to develop a taste for what is right and what is good and what you should do. So it's good in that way. But it can't transform your heart. It can affect your heart, but it can't transform your heart. And there's only one thing that can do that. And the way that the New Testament, the way that the New Covenant works is that Jesus says, while you're a sinner, I'm going to die for you. Okay? Why? Like, um, we, had a, we had a Jewish guy come and t speak to a men's uh, group of ours um, some time back. And, uh, which takes a lot of courage, man. I mean, you just have to imagine what that guy is like walking into an evangelical church, and he doesn't know what we're going to talk about. We always say, oh, we got this, all this in common, but we always find the part that we don't have in common, don't we? That, that we want to get him, you know, we're, we want to like, you know, you, what you need what we have. We don't really need what, what you have. And anyway, he came and talked to us about being Jewish and what, what it means to be Jewish. And um, somebody said something about Jesus, and he said, here's the difference between us. He said, um, he said two things. He said, we believe that God is one God. Do you hear what he's saying? Because we believe that God is what? Three gods. No, no, we don't. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. We believe that God is one God, but in three persons. And we believe He was revealed that way all throughout the Old Testament. When God created man, He said, let us make man in our image. See, God is three in one. He always has been three in one, but man has never understood that. And this guy didn't understand that, which is fine, which is understandable because the Jews didn't understand when Jesus said, I am, that they were saying, you're equating yourself with God. And lo and behold, yes, he was equating himself with God because he was God. They just couldn't bear it. They couldn't understand that at that time. And it offended them. But the second thing he says is that we don't believe in human sacrifice. We believe that God is one God and we don't believe in human sacrifice. These are deep waters, man. These are, th this is not, you know, oh, here's how you solve that. Because Jesus Christ, as a man, did die for us. But He did not forgive our sins because He died as a man alone, but as a perfect man. And as God Himself, as the Son of God. If he hadn't have been those two things, 
He could not have offered a perfect sacrifice for us. What's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? I'll tell you one thing that's not different is the penalty for sin. Because the penalty for sin can't just be waived. You can't just come before God and God says, oh, you know what? You tried really hard. I'm just going to forget the adultery and the, you know, the, the uh, cheating on your taxes and, you know, and uh, not praying, not reading the Bible, all of that stuff. He's like, no. All of that stuff is important stuff. And it's not just the sins, but it's the sin. It's the sin that so easily besets us. And that sin is selfishness and willfulness and turning our back on God and wanting it our way. And note, that has to be paid for. He doesn't just turn a deaf ear to that or a blind eye to that, but he says that must be paid for. I worked with a guy one time that explained it to me. This, a couple of things he explained his, um, his uh, religion which he thought he was a Christian. He was calling himself a Christian. I'm not saying that he wasn't a Christian, but he had some crazy ideas. And one of them was, he said, you know, I keep my church life and my work life separate. I don't, I don't mix those things together. Like, I, I have my, my work life over here, and I have my church life over here. And I'm like, I don't think that's the way that it works. Right? The secular and the sacred you know, like God is like, oh, well, that's secular. It's, that's just business is what we say. That's just business. I don't think God honors that at all. He's like, your life is your life and your life is hidden in me and that's your business and that's your family and that's your neighborhood and that's, that's, all, that's the whole shebang, right? And then the other thing that he told me one time was, he says, sometimes I know that what I'm going to do is bad, but I know God's going to forgive me anyway, so I just go ahead and do it. And you can see how people might think that. Because the, the forgiveness of God is something you can count on when you really repent. But oh, what a price that was paid for that forgiveness. Oh, what a burden you have put upon an innocent for your sin. Yes, it is paid for. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 6 he said what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound he says by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into christ jesus were baptized into his death one of the um one of the um, sermons in this series um, that i want us to do is um, just on the the sacrament sacraments of our faith which is a lot less than it was when i was a catholic because we had like seven of them back then. And I'm not saying that they're bad. It's just the way that they look at it. But we have two. And one is communion, and one is baptism. And I'm not sure that everybody really understands what baptism means, or communion. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I, that takes some study. That takes some understanding. Because it's not just something that you look at it and you're like, what does that mean? The Bible clearly teaches us why Jesus said, when you believe you're going to be baptized. And why did, why did he choose baptism as a symbol? It's a perfect symbol for coming into a life with Jesus Christ. Because it reminds us of um, Israel crossing the Red Sea. You remember what happened when Israel was crossing the Red Sea? Man, God brought them to you know, the 11th hour, the 12th hour, over and over again. I mean, they were dead, dead, going to die 
a horrible death. They're trapped with the water on this side and the enemy on this side, and they cannot get over. And God parted the sea, and they went through it. And that was like their baptism. Because once they went through it, He closed the sea behind them on the enemy. They shouldn't have chased them, but He closed it on the enemy. And then they're once and for all, they're separated from the past. They're dead to, to Egypt. And that's what baptism symbolizes. Baptism symbolizes burial. It's like we, couldn't, we can't bury you when you come to Jesus. We can't bury you in dirt or you won't survive that, right? But you can hold your breath for a second in the water. But that's what it's supposed to be. It's like you go down into the water and you come up out of the water and it's like a resurrection. It's like a new person. It's a new creation. And it's a physical demonstration of that. There's so much more to say on that. But Paul says, how can we say... Um, we'll just sin so that grace might abound. He said, may it never be. You died to sin. That old you that was in charge, that old you that was trapped in sin, that old you that, was not, that, was, that, that could appreciate the, 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 um, the old wineskin, but could never fulfill the, the desires of God, is dead. It's dead. And there's a new creation. What I'm saying to you this morning is that God is promising a new covenant to Israel, to mankind, because the old way doesn't work. Sin must be dealt with. Your sin must be dealt with even today. Even if you are in Jesus Christ, your sin has to be dealt with. And the wages of sin is death, and He bears the weight of that sin. Nevertheless, it is a weighty matter. It is not something to take lightly. I think Tyler needs to see an example of the body of Christ, not just a church, but the body of Christ being the body of Christ. I think that the doors of the church ought to be open to everybody, but I think that everybody coming into the doors of the church ought to be impressed by the presence of Jesus, not just good people here. And I think our, our city needs that. And I think there, there are people that come... There, listen... I mean, our numbers have been you know, down during the summer, but we have steadily had people coming in. Do you ever notice that when somebody comes in and they sit by themselves? Man, how much courage does it take, number one, to go to a strange place with a bunch of strange people and, 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 and come like that, right? I mean, that takes a lot more courage than it takes for me to come to church on Sunday. I know you guys. I know that you're harmless. But everybody doesn't. And they're looking around and they're thinking, these people got it. No, surely not. Surely not. But maybe they are thinking, these people have it all together. right? You know what they need? If they have taken that step, they need the human touch. That's what they need. They need somebody. Don't, we don't have to overwhelm them or, you know, or anything like that, but just to let them know that Jesus loves them and we love them and we're glad that they're here, that they belong in the body of Christ. That's what's made me stick. When I came here for the first time is they treated me like I belonged, and I didn't. I didn't know anything. I, I, all my, I had so many harebrained ideas and all of that, but they treated me like I belonged. Why? Because they knew that Jesus Christ had a hold on me. He had a line on me. I was hooked, man. And they were just like, I trust Jesus, you know? I can love this guy. And they did. And it seemed effortless. It didn't seem like it was that hard. It changed the way that I saw myself.
So what's the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? I'll give you just a couple of examples, uh, a couple of, of things that are just dramatically different, diametrically different from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And makes the Old Covenant come alive, actually. One is grace. Grace. Because looking at it from the outside, you can't imagine yourself being able to walk this walk with the Lord. And you never will because you can't find it in yourself. Grace is something that comes from the outside. Grace is the, it's been defined as the unmerited favor of God, but it's also the ability to do the will of God. He gives us that. So here's, here's the way I look at it. So if, if I had the ability to do this, okay, let's just say I have the ability, and I came to you and I said, I hereby impart to you the ability to play professional basketball championship basketball right i give you the ability to do that and i would like touch you like on your head and suddenly that would be imparted to you what what would you do with that how first of all how would you feel because it's not necessarily just a physical thing right it's an ability it's the ability to do something it's not just a physical thing how would you feel how would you know that you actually got it? It wouldn't be until you started playing basketball. Right? And I wouldn't necessarily be saying in your, in your condition just right now that you can be the, the triumphant one. Right? But I would be saying you have the potential for doing that if you work hard. you got to shoot some buckets, man. I mean, Michael Jordan was famous for how you know, great he was on the court, but how he was on the practice court is what made him great on the court and the same thing is true of you you have an ability this is what he's given us that's what grace is you have the ability to be a man or a woman of god you have the ability to be an overcomer you are an overcomer you are these things knowing that how then should we live should we live by taking it easy or looking on things lightly that God says are important? Or do we, do we do that by saying, I want to be like Him? Are you following me? Are you with me? Grace. And then the other one is the Holy Spirit. It's so different reading the Word when the Holy Spirit is at work than it is just reading the Word. Right? Because the Bible is just a, a book of contradictions. Is it not? Is that just me trying to read it before the Holy Spirit was active in my life? It's like it's almost contradicting itself in the same verse. I don't understand what it's saying, right? I don't understand these stories. I don't understand what any of this stuff is. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and He's going to teach you. He's going to call to mind all the stuff that I have and He's going to be your teacher. He's going to say, this is what it means. And now, it's like I can't hardly read a single verse of the Bible without it going so deep in my heart. Some of them don't necessarily yet. I'm sure when I get on the other side that they'll all be very important and very deep, but right now they're not all that. But there are some of them that just go so deep into my heart. It's like the, the words of God are eternal. Look at, look at the, if you have a red letter Bible, look at the words of Jesus and I challenge you to see a single thing that He said that's not eternal in nature. Not just temporary and not just for the moment, but eternal in nature. The way that he talked to them is the way that he talks to the world. What he said to them was not just for that little audience. My words are like that. My, my words are temporary and they're, 
They're, they're, point, they're limited in their scope. I don't want anybody else quoting me because don't, I don't always know what I'm talking about, right? But Jesus, every single word, that's why, the, that's why they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he spoke to us? Why? Because he's talking about eternal stuff. It's so different. The word of the Lord, when the Spirit is at work in our lives, and when the Spirit is taking His words and teaching us what we believe. Those two things. Grace is different in this covenant. It's the missing element. And the Holy Spirit. Those are the things that when He gives us a new heart that we rely on and that we walk in. So what do we need to do? So let me close with this. Um, I don't, I, if you drink coffee, you know what I'm talking about. But like, if you have a full cup of coffee and you're trying to walk across the room, do you look at the cup or do you look at to where you're going? You look at where you're going. If you look at that cup, even if you're a steady hand, that makes you unsteady. So don't look at yourself. Look at Jesus. Where are you going? You're going to be like Him. You're going to Him. If you don't understand something, look at Jesus. If you're suffering through something, look at Jesus. If you're happy about something, look at Jesus. If you know that you need to change, don't spend all your time just thinking about yourself. Think about Him. Think about who He is. Think about what He said. Think about who He is to you. Look at where you're going. And don't, don't worry about the laws just worry about the one thing that matters. He, he, he condensed the whole law for us. He didn't do away with the rest of it. He just said, this is the heart of what I was getting to when I gave you the law. And what is it? Two of them, right? First is, love the Lord your God, all heart and soul and mind and strength. And number two is, love your neighbor. As yourself. So that's what I want to close with today. This is, where, this is how the old covenant and the new covenant come together, and the old complements the new, and the, the new uh, illustrates or illuminates um, the old. The old is just a type that brings us to this place of walking with the Lord. This is what God has always desired. And listen, this is what all the great men and women of God desired. What you have right now, they wished, they desired to walk in this. They had a measure of the Spirit sometimes. They had a measure of understanding, but they saw through a glass darkly. But you see it face to face. Let's stand together this morning. Can you lead us in a song? So we're going to have a few minutes of worship. And um, sometimes there's a sort of a tendency when we start singing a song that we just kind of sing, you know. And uh, I don't ever want it to be like that for us. If any time that we're singing, we're worshiping, okay? Even if it's just one song and even if it's just a few verses of a song or for a short amount of time, just extend your heart to the Lord and just fix your attention on Him. And really just spend a few minutes in worship. If you need prayer this morning, I'm here for you. And I would be glad to pray for you. I'll stay as long as I need to to pray for you with any needs that you have. If you came this morning with a burden, even if I didn't talk about it in the sermon, if you came with a burden, you let somebody pray for you, okay? Before you leave. Um, just because God wants to minister to that. So.
Amen. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. I want to see. You have imparted to us the ability. You have imparted to us, Lord, the reality that we are the sons and daughters of God, that we can call upon your name as Abba, as Father, that we belong. I pray for everyone here today, Lord, everyone that hears this uh, message that struggles, Lord, with the performance aspect of it, with the, with the old wineskin aspect of it. And I just pray, Lord, that you would draw them into that inner place, that they would see you in your goodness and your glory, that they would give you free access to their whole lives, Lord. They would realize it's not just them doing this, but it's that you're doing it, Lord, in them. You're going to do a deep work in them. I pray against all of the uh, schemes of the enemy, the ways that he would separate us from each other and separate us from you. He has no power. He has no authority to do that. 
our lives are hid in Christ, then we're yours. Do with us as you please. And finally, Lord, I pray that you would bless us today, Lord, by sending us forth from this place. Sending us forth, Lord, from the known to the unknown. Sending us forth, Lord Jesus, from our um, familiar place, Lord, to a place that's unfamiliar to us but not unfamiliar to you. Send us, Lord Jesus, from a place where we are richly supplied to where there is such great need out there, Lord. Send us, Lord Jesus, as ambassadors to say, be reconciled, that your heavenly Father loves you, that he's calling unto you, that he's always been calling unto you, and that he loves you unconditionally. Send us forth, Lord Jesus, from the light of your presence, Lord, to this dark world, that we might be lights in the world, that we might be salt. Be sure and greet somebody before you leave.